This is Bethel Online. Welcome home. This is the next best thing to being at Bethel on Sundays. We are driven by making disciples of Jesus who make disciples. When you're online, interact with us on Facebook and Instagram. When you're in Barhead, Alberta, drop in Sundays to Friday. Our goal on this podcast is to ask questions, challenge certainty, and grow a relationship with Jesus so you can go the distance and bring others with you. Thank you for tuning in. Growing up in this church, and uh, if you go to the next picture, I, I figured I have to throw my parents in my slideshow. I have a picture of my mom pulling me on a toboggan, and uh, then a picture of how I went from being pulled on a toboggan to pushing a toboggan at a world class level. <laughs> and <laughs> a lot of you guys have watched me from from that stage to this stage, and you guys have seen my journey. Uh, From afar, some of you guys up close, some of you guys have been a big part of it, and uh, it's been an incredible and insane journey, and it's been such a blessing to be able to have uh, this church family behind me, to be able uh, to say that you guys are in my corner, to have you guys praying for me, encouraging me, to, um, to grow with you guys, and to be challenged by you guys. Uh, we're going into a week of VBS. I can remember lots of fond memories from VBS and uh, youth group and all these different things. And specifically, as I was just thinking about my whole faith and sport journey, because it's something that really has collided and kind of propelled each other forward, kind of. Uh, in grade eight, we went on a youth retreat to Jasper. And I don't, I don't even remember who else was all there. <laughs> There's probably a couple people that were uh, there in this room. But we had a guest speaker, and uh, I can't remember a ton of what happened that weekend, but we all got these journals, and they had cute little quotes in them and verses in them and stuff like that. But that was my very first prayer journal, and on the last day, I think this was like five pages into my first prayer journal, I penned something along the lines of, dear God, even that crazy dream of going to the Olympics, I pray that God, you would just be able to use my athletics for your glory, and that somehow that would come true. Fast forward however many years, it's insane (laughs) to think that it did, that it's a dream that God planted in my heart as a child, um, that I had had zero way of knowing that it would come true, I had zero way of even thinking about bobsled at that age, who in Barhead knew that somebody could become a bobsled athlete? No idea. I knew at that stage I was fast. I knew at that stage that I loved athletics. I knew at that stage that I loved God. And whatever I wanted to do with my life, I wanted to make sure that I honored him and glorified him in it. And I wanted to live big. And so that was a dream and a prayer I had from the age of 12. And uh, it was crazy to watch, I guess, over the next decade plus, how that dream unfolded and uh, what became of it. Uh, today I'm just literally going to sh- share my story. The Bible is chock full of stories. Jesus taught in parables. Uh, Revelation says that they overcame by the power of the blood and the word of their testimony. So that's literally what I'm doing today. Is I'm just giving you guys a snapshot of my story and my journey with God. And uh, for me, like I said, sport has been a big part of that. Uh, moving forward a couple years, I remember uh, being challenged again it was at youth group. I don't remember if anybody around my age remembers that. We brought up Dan McCauley from uh, over in Ontario, he's based, and he's a singer, and he was a speaker as well, and uh, he just shared a story about how uh, he was challenged in his life uh, to, to be able to, was God first, was God on the throne, and 
something that was really challenging for me at that time because sport was something that was getting bigger and bigger and growing in my life. As I went into junior high, I got involved with every single sports team my mom would drive me to, and uh, <laughs> which was pretty much all of them. And it was also that thing, though, that took up a lot of time. Uh, those of you, again, that have been a part of this church for a long time know how busy I was with sports, with school, with playing piano in church, with taking piano lessons, all these things. And again, sport was this instrument, this vehicle that God had used in my life to ask the question of, okay, Melissa, like, you love this thing, but do you love me more? Will you put me first? Will you trust me in this? And uh, if you go to the next uh, picture there, eventually that turned into bobsledding, uh, that love of sport. At the end of high school, uh, in grade 12, it was my very last track meet. And I thought at that point my sport was done. I had made the commitment to go to Vanguard for a year. I wanted to set aside a year just to grow my faith and to deepen in my faith and my walk with God and put that first. And I thought at that point in time that as much as I loved athletics, that, okay, this is kind of the end of that full-time, serious, competing kind of athletic road. And uh, that last track meet, actually, it's crazy to think how much one day in history can change your life. And uh, that track meet, went into it, like I said, thinking it was like the last, I guess, competitive event of my life. And uh, we went in, I ended up doing super well, uh, winning bronze in the 100 meter, and our relay team got gold. And because of those results, there was a U of A track coach that talked to me and said, hey, Melissa, do you want to come run for the U of A? It's not going to be easy, uh, but we see potential in you. Come, come out, train with us, let's see where this goes. And so that year at Vanguard, I, <laughs> after classes, would sneak off to the UFA to train. And everybody would be doing all these community events, and they're like, oh, we're cool, so why isn't she here? But that's what I was doing. I was training, I was working hard, I was being diligent, and uh, it was something that was really hard. At a high school level, I was a very good athlete. You throw yourself into the pool where everybody's the good athlete of their high school, and you're like, wow, I'm not so good. <laughs> And it was a lot of work, and it was humbling to go from being, like, the best. I can remember in grade 12, people just expected me to be able to go out and do well. They expected results, or I thought that they expected that, whether it was true or not. And uh, that pressure changed. And it was funny because there was this journey of just being like, okay, no, I want to be able to be at that level. I want to be able to accomplish something in sport. And so this goal of going to nationals became a really big thing. And uh, that journey, again... And uh, that tension between how much I love sport and how much I love God and God within that asking, Melissa, will you trust me? Melissa, will you put me first? That, of course, like many of you know, turned into bobsled. Uh, during my time at the UVA, I got approached uh, by Bobsled Canada. Uh, one of my teammates, actually, she made the switch into bobsled, and that kind of sparked an interest for me. And I did a testing camp with them. I did really, really well, and they said, Melissa, we would love for you to come push a sled. We want to see what you can do. So in 2014, I packed up literally everything I owned um, into a couple vehicles and moved down to Calgary to try out, uh, which was a bold step, I suppose. <laughs> but I had done some research, and more than that, I remember talking with one of my mentors, actually, and just saying, wow, I'm so excited because there's no guarantees for sure in this journey, but I'm just excited that God has asked me and called me to be able to step into sport in a new way, a new realm, and that I get to adventure in this space and learn more about him and learn more about his love 
and just this pure excitement. And I also had this peace that for some reason, this is what God wanted me to do and where he wanted me to be. Not because, as I said in that video, that he wanted me to excel or dominate or any of those things, but simply because he wanted to be able to show me his love in a different way and his character in a different way and continue to challenge me and ask those questions. And I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> but I look back, uh, over the last four years, those challenges have been immense and I've been stretched in so many different ways and it's incredible to look at how God used sport in my life as a vehicle to continue to challenge and refine my character and to grow me as a person uh, and to stretch me. And uh, as you all know, I ended up going from, from zero to 100 kind of real quick and went from literally watching the Olympics in my basement in February of 2014 to sliding with a two-time Olympic champion in December of the same year, which is a massive learning curve <laughs> in a sport you've never done before. <laughs> But because of my sport background and uh, the opportunity that was there, I found myself in over my head in a good way. And I, it was a struggle. All of a sudden, you're being asked to perform at a world-class level. You're still figuring out the sport. You're still figuring out what it looks like to be on tour for six months of the year, away from support networks, from family, from friends, all those kinds of things. And uh, it was a challenge. It was a struggle. But. Uh, within this, there was also uh, a tension between what is urgent and what is important. And that's something I didn't recognize until a couple years later. Uh, but urgency, the definition of course, is requiring immediate action or attention. And when you're in this sport bubble, it is very urgent that you win. <laughs> it's very urgent that you do well, week after week after week after week. Important. Uh, the definition is great significance or value. Uh, often, uh, lending a hand, it says, either to success, uh, to personal self-worth or value or whatever. And uh, yes, winning bobsled races was important, but it was more urgent than it was important. And being able to separate that and being able to try and discern wisdom in not letting the urgency kind of take over uh, was something I had to learn. And it paired along with the piece of walking into the sport, I felt that God asked me to be wholly invested, as in I was here, I was doing this all in, I was 100%, I, was, I moved to Calgary to train, I was on the road, I was here to do well, and I do believe that God um, has challenged us as people to do well, and that is part of our testimony and our witness, and uh, Paul talks about that in some of his letters about how um, it is through excellence often that we can be a witness to the people around us. Uh, but <laughs> there's a balance between uh, that wholly invested and that striving and searching for excellence and for goals and that uh, fully surrendered peace. And I know I've mentioned this uh, a couple times before, maybe when Pastor David called me up just to share about what's been kind of going on in my life and my realm. Uh, but it's this, this challenge of being wholly invested and fully surrendered. <laughs> and that's a crazy place to live in, but I think that's what God asks of us with the abundant life. He says, I want to give you these things, and I want you to invest yourself fully and to put your whole heart into this and to put your full effort into this. But at the same time, I'm asking you to trust me in this. I'm asking you to put it on the altar for me. 
That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. And so what that looks like in a day-in, day-out environment, uh, sometimes that's easy, but often it's hard, especially when you're living in a world where everything's more urgent, and so there's way more alarm bells going off <laughs> all the time in your head. Uh, but figuring that out, and of course, I didn't realize when I got into it, but there's so much about Olympic sports that everything leads up to the Olympics, <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, World Cups, super important. World Championships, super important. But every single year, you can kind of see the build-up year after year, race after race, and it was like, oh, if we didn't do well, it was like, okay, this is a learning experience so that we can do better when the Olympics come. And everything was kind of building up towards that. And so it's crazy and interesting how, um, yeah, there is this importance placed on it, and rightfully so, because it is a big event. It literally does present you with different opportunities that could change how things go for you in the future or don't go for you in the future. It is a big event. Uh, but to keep that into perspective with that urgency versus importance and with that fully invested but fully surrendered uh, way of walking. And uh, it was something that for me I struggled with and for me that faith brought a lot of perspective to and a lot of peace to. And I can remember, well, this was I think last summer, in June, I think, where God just did a service, said to me, Melissa, you're working faithfully, you're working hard, now I just need you to peacefully, patiently trust. Trust. <laughs> it's such a small word with such hard implications. Um, <laughs> trust is the firm belief, this acceptance of something that is, you, you believe is true or fact. Um, it's this firm belief in the reliability that uh, something has the ability or strength, uh, the truth of something or something. Trust. To trust in God. What did it look like to put my dreams into God's hands? As I shared, uh, this Olympic dream was something that was put into my heart as a, as a kid. As I was doing well in the World Cup stage, that dream grew into not just going to the Olympics, but I had a real big chance to win the Olympics. How cool would that be? <laughs> to be able to win the Olympics on this biggest stage. And what does it look like, that same prayer, to be able to do it for God's glory and with God? Uh, that was something that I wrestled with and something that me and God started to dream about what that could look like. And uh, I'm a very visual person. I love different scriptures uh, that are super visual. And the Old Testament, of course, um, has these amazing stories of these physical victories that often uh, manifested the spiritual victory as God went out and he conquered land for Israel. He went forward saying, I'm your God and I'm conquering this spiritually for you, but also physically for you. And uh, this scripture of King Jehoshaphat going to battle, this is from 2 Chronicles uh, 20. He talks uh, saying, then the spirit of the Lord came on, uh, I'm not good at pronouncing these names, Jahiel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of blah, 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 blah. He said, <laughs> listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up the passages, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerah. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and God will be with you. 
And then it goes on to say, early in the morning when they left, as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood up and said to them, uh, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for his splendor and his holiness as they went out as the head of the army, army saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Jerusalem, and they were defeated. What a cool picture, um, a physical picture of a spiritual reality that God was doing for them. Literally, they just went out and worshipped, and God was like, battle's done. Okay. <laughs> Amen, right? And you're like, okay, God, yes, please. <laughs> and uh, that was something hard, I think, for me as I journeyed in this, and like this dream of being able to push towards being the best and being this Olympic champion, and this dream of like what that looked like to do with God, this passage for me very much embodied that in so many ways. It was a scripture that talks about this physical victory, but that was a, it was a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality, really. God said, I'm going to fight for you, and as you go out and worship me, I'm going to be able to be your God and be your king. And uh, that was something, so I guess that kind of hopefully describes, I guess, what this dream and this hope was in my heart. It, it wasn't just to win. It was to be able to win in a way that gave God glory and to be able to uh, journey and uh, in, in praise and in relationship with him. And sometimes as this dream came closer and farther and closer and farther, it felt like there was, it was like, you know that classic cartoon with the carrot on the string in front of a donkey and you're like, I'm getting closer and farther. And that's what it felt like. And I'm like, God, you're just dangling this dream in front of me. Like, what on earth can I do? And he just kept on saying, Melissa, peacefully, patiently trust. And there were so many races where again and again I had to come back uh, on my knees and say, okay, God, fully invested, fully surrendered, I'm placing this in your hands. And uh, I was blessed to be able to have a group of people that I corresponded with via email. And I just want to read to you um, an email correspondence that I had about two very different races in the same place, <laughs> one a year later than the other. And uh, one of these races was very much like this experience, and one of them was the exact opposite. Um, anyways, so. A year ago, here in St. Moritz, Switzerland, I had the race of my life. Some of you may remember a frantic text the night before the race. Others may remember the triumphant letter that followed. For the first time in my bobsled career, we had pushed the fastest start of the entire field. We got silver by one hundredth of a second, which is much less than a blink of an eye. <laughs> and uh, it was a race, though, of vulnerability and a race where I just was able to empty myself out before God, a race of both trust and surrender, and a race of freedom. Uh, that year, me and Cynthia, another break woman, we were battling out head-to-head -head for the chance to race in the top sled at Worlds. And in that new, in the new year, we were alternating races, and St. Moritz was my last race to show that I deserve to compete in the best sled against the best of the world at the biggest event. The alternative was sitting at World Championships as a spare to ensure that in the event that something bad happened to the racing brakeman, we still had an opportunity to do well. And I can just remember being a wreck. I wanted it so bad. We go back to that urgency versus importance thing. 
And uh, when you're living in that bubble, it's hard to, it seems sometimes from a distance like something silly or trivial when you think about it super practically. Uh, but when you're living in it, <laughs> it's something that's super urgent and important and it's something that can be, um, it takes the focus of your attention. And so there is that urgency, like I said, to do well. And, I, and that urgency to compete at world championships versus sitting at that point in time was huge. <laughs> and uh, the night before the race, I can remember frantically texting some people to pray. And I remember getting down on my knees beside my bed as tears of surrender poured silently down my face. And I put the results in God's hands. This thing that I wanted so bad. And it's interesting because we can see in our own lives there's this uh, tension between trust and control. Uh, bobsled, for me, is this place of uncertainty. There's no certainty in terms of outcomes or results or in terms of being on the podium, but also in terms of even if I get to race or even, as I found out later, if my body wants to cooperate and be healthy, <laughs> that's not even in my control. And it's frustrating when you are not in your own control. <laughs> but it is that dynamic of trust versus control. And often the things that we try to control in a place of uncertainty aren't things that we can actually control. <laughs> we, we try and do things to, to make ourselves feel in control, but we're not actually in control. And I had, I had options, I suppose, um, and I could try and grasp at straws to make sure and seal my fate and stuff. But the reality was, is even though I could think I was doing something about it, there wasn't anything other than being faithful and working hard and doing what I could do, worrying about the rest. Worry so often is just, right, us trying to almost control something we can't control. And we're never going to be able to control it. <laughs> so why worry, right? But easier said than done. And so that question of trust. And so the night before that race, I said, okay, God, yeah, I'm going to trust you with this race instead of me worrying myself sick about it. Um, and then the letter that year that I had wrote, I had this quote from my favorite book. If you guys have not read it, I highly suggest it. It's called Heinz Feast on High Places by Hannah Hennard. And it's just this really beautiful book that's an allegory of Christian faith. There's this girl named Much Afraid, and she's journeying to the high places to be with the shepherd. And it's a journey of transformation and disappointment and triumph and all these beautiful things that, um, as a visual, emotional person, I connected a lot to. <laughs> but there's this quote, and uh, it was something I really resonated to in that moment. And it says, uh, it was very early morning, and high above them, hanging in the sky over the expanse of the desert, was a young crescent moon and the morning star, shining like a brilliant jewel close beside it. There, much afraid, built her first altar on the mountains, a little pile of broken rocks. And then, with the shepherd standing close beside her, she laid down on the altar her trembling, rebelling will. A little spurt of flame came from somewhere, and in an instant, nothing but a heap of ashes was laying on the altar. And then she looks, and she finds this little stone, a memorial stone that she puts in her bed, and she journeys with it. Um, that quote, as I wrote, so accurately described my heart as I warmed up for the race, I continued to lay down my will again and again and again and again, because, as we all know, <laughs> the thing with a living sacrifice is it likes to crawl off the altar, so keep on putting it back on. <laughs> uh, and I can remember walking through the line at that race with tears in my eyes, because I wanted it so bad, but I wanted God more. And I can remember whispering right before we went, helmet was on already, uh, Lord, just give me wings. Give my feet wings like eagles. And then I pushed, 
and it pushed with all of my heart. And uh, it was, it, to me, it felt raw and open, and it just felt completely before God. It felt like that living sacrifice um, of trust and surrender, and it felt like I had wings. It was this beautiful beam of sunshine that radiated through my heart and through my hands and through my feet as I pushed. And at the same time, it was like this messy, oozy, raw, cracked egg all over the place, <laughs> or like a finger painting gone completely out of control. But it was beautiful. And I had met God pushing a sled. It was such a cool experience. And I can remember going to the hotel after that race and just being like, wow, with tears of just gratitude and joy, we didn't win. But I had met God pushing a sled. And like I said, there was just like these, I felt like I had wings. And it was this race of freedom. And it was just so cool to be able to do something um, that was both spiritual and physical and just have those two things collide. Um, and I won't ever forget that race, that experience, that freedom, and how much, I guess that white light I described was just God's love, and just his freedom to be able to compete fully, and it was so cool, and it came from that place of surrender, and uh, this email that I penned was written a year later, <laughs> after a very different experience, and I wrote, today, uh, I found myself again on my face before God, with tears streaming down my face and a song of praise on my lips, but in very, very different circumstances. Uh, that day I had a push-off. So this is less than a month before the Olympics. I want to say mid-January, so probably about a month before my Olympic competition, never by the opening ceremony. And uh, at this point in time, I had been a super good start to the season. I opened up the year with Kaylee again, we got gold, silver, gold, fourth. Things were looking really good. I was the top dog to beat. But in that fourth race, my body decided to stop cooperating with me. And essentially what happened was there was some really deep tissues in uh, my glutes that decided instead of relaxing so that I could fire them back up again, they just wanted to stay contracted. And uh, <laughs> that took us a long time to figure out. And they were like the really deep rotators. So as I would start to warm up and race and stuff like that, different things would want to cramp as they compensated for it. Because of course, your glute's your biggest muscle in your legs. And so when it's not doing its job, your hamstring's like, oh, I can do that, but it can't. <laughs> and then your calves are like, oh, let me help, but they can't really do the job either. And so it's interesting, because in a race where hundreds of a second count, if you're not like top notch, you're not competitive. And I was in a space where I could push, I just couldn't push at my best. And so it was this very weird kind of situation, and so we had a push-off. This is less than a month before the Olympics. And the coaches were like, oh yeah, okay, well if she's healthy, we don't know where she's at right now, she should dominate this push-off. The reality was, is my body wasn't cooperating. The day after we did this push-off, I think I was on the therapy table for five hours, uh, <laughs> getting things worked on and activating different things. But I lost. I lost that push-off. And this was kind of that push-off they were using lots of different data to just to determine uh, who was racing with who at the Olympics. And uh, if I had won this push-off, it probably would have sealed the deal that I was in the top sled. But I lost it. So enter into a new chapter of uncertainty. <laughs> and uh, so I wrote that, yeah, okay, today I had a push-off. I went head for head for that number one position. Today I lost, I fell short, and it. <laughs> it sucked really hard. 
Uh, I went into today trusting and asking the Lord for great things. I went into today with humble confidence and bravery. And I went into today through gaining the Lord's victory. This uh, passage that I read earlier from Second Chronicles, that was actually a passage that uh, the night before a friend had shared with me. And uh, that I was just kind of just praying through. And it's interesting how it was in the same physical place where a year before I had this amazing experience where through surrender, God gave me back this gift. And in that same heart, today, I was defeated. I uh, went into today knowing that the Lord is on my side. He goes before me, fights my battles, and delights in every detail of my life. I can pinpoint a couple things that went wrong. An aggravated hit, a lazy glute, less than perfect technique, but nonetheless, I lost. And lost things, it leaves you numb and downfounded at first until the raw, bitter reality of it sets in. And I cried <laughs> a lot. Um, but paired with the bitterness, I found that in that place there was something deep and sweet, an unexplainable peace, and a song that rose above. And it was a song, I love St. Rose, it's a beautiful place, but on top of that, in every single hotel, because it's a hoity-toity town, there's a piano. <laughs> and so I got to play piano uh, that morning, and I had spent 40 minutes playing on the piano. Uh, this song by The Belonging Co., called You're Not Finished Yet, and the, uh, the verse says, I can trust you here, I can trust you here and now, I won't forget the things you've done, for I know that this is just the beginning, and you're not finished yet. You're not finished yet until I see your promise, God with all that's in me, I'll keep believing that you're not finished yet, you're not finished yet. And then the bridge says, until the dry bones wake, until the mountains shake, until the darkness breaks, I will praise you. I will praise you. And it started really small in my heart, but it was something that as I chose, and it was a choice to sing, and uh, I started went back to the piano, it, it became something, it became a part of me, it became an anthem and a banner for me, and I let the words just wash over me until they became a part of my very soul. I will trust you here, yes, even here, where, <laughs> like we talked about that carrot on a string, we're like, okay, God, this is crunch time now, stop playing with me. <laughs> The dream is on the line, the Olympics are less than a month away, and the goal is to win. The goal is to go in and to do well, and like I said, the goal is to be able to do that with God. And I, I, I dream big. I know my expectations sometimes are larger than life, but there is that expectation and that hope that within winning and doing well on this international stage, that not only was it going to be a personal, amazing victory, but it was also going to be able to be something that was a witness and was able to give God glory. And I was like, okay, God, this dream, this dream that we've talked about, this dream that we've dreamed about together, where is it at? <laughs> and uh, it was interesting, because in that moment where maybe more than ever before, the pressure was on and things felt even more uncertain, I realized that all I could do, all I wanted to do was praise and get on my knees before God and praise, declaring my allegiance, confirming my submission, rededicating my trust, and proclaiming his goodness. Tonight doesn't make sense. There's nothing logical about it. Um, and in that, God met me. I met God leaping above the grave. And it's so interesting how God works, that he works in both our wins and our losses. Um, if you go to the next slide, we'll jump to the Olympics. Um, <laughs> I got to the Olympics. I still didn't know who I was racing with. Uh, <laughs> we had flown out, I think, on a Saturday. This is now two days before the opening ceremonies. 
and our coaches had said that, okay, we believe that you're the best push athlete that we have. We know that your body has been up and down. We want to make sure that whoever's in the top sled is the best. And so they had said for a month that they were going to be doing a push-off. So essentially, at the Olympics, uh, in a training day, see who was the best on that track so we could put the best team forward possible. And two days before uh, the opening ceremonies, for reasons completely outside of my control, they scrapped the push-off, sat me down and said, we're putting you in the third sled. We think you have what it takes that you could win the Olympics, but this time around, we're going with somebody else in the top sled, you're going to the third sled. And I can't describe how far my stomach felt when I heard that, how like the hair just stood up on my, on my neck, on my arms, and just like this pit in my stomach that just opened up and caved in. And uh, there was so many different feelings. The Olympics for me, I think every single human emotion you could possibly feel, I felt in those two weeks. <laughs> It was an insane month, guys. <laughs> and in that moment, it was those feelings of like God taking these dreams that I had placed in his hands and being like, okay, this is what it felt like. And then he stomped on a good, good measure. <laughs> that's what it felt like. That doesn't mean that's how it was. That's how it felt like. And um, these feelings of injustice, of how I'd been promised something and it didn't happen, and these feelings of also just being deceived because that hope I had put in both God and this dream and this faith I had put in my coaches and my teammates, it just didn't come together in that moment. And that psalm that Prakash read earlier, uh, that psalm I had memorized this last year. And it talks about, okay, God, you're, you're my strength, you're my shield, you're my hiding place. When trouble comes, you're going to put me on this high place, on this rock, and I'm going to praise you there. And you're going to be able to just continue to be my, my redeemer. And even when I'm attacked, I'm going to be able to praise you. And I had done that and had seen that. And there was part of me, um, in completely wrong theology, believed that because of all these things that God would be able to just, again, grant me that dream. That I had climbed to the mountain peak like Abraham did to sacrifice Isaac. And last minute, there should be a ram in the thicket, but it wasn't there. And uh, that's how it felt. I felt completely abandoned and almost like attacked by this situation, this God that said and promised in his word that he would never abandon me, that he would be my shield and my portion, uh, it just didn't make sense. And uh, a couple days later, I wrote this letter, which is, <laughs> I gave it a, a context of being like, this is how I feel, this is not theologically accurate, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> essentially talking about how I was burnt by the system, and throughout this process, um, I had to reset goals. The reality was, is in that top sled, I had a chance to win the Olympics. In that third sled, I had a hope of coming top ten. That's a really different reality. Especially when you, like, the reality is, is winning the Olympics, you do have different opportunities. It's, it's a fact. It's a fact. And uh, what happens after the Olympics when you have a medal around your neck is very different than when you don't. <laughs> and, uh, I had to work through both that, uh, this, rea this disarrayed reality of my current situation, but at the same time, prepare myself because I still had to compete, which was probably a good thing. Otherwise, I like to spiral both ways, and so it kind of kept me on this ground of being like, I can only go out of control for a couple days, and then I have to refocus. <laughs> but just being able to enter into both that, that sorrow and uh, 
and that and that anger. I'm actually I'm not a very angry person usually, but uh, I I was really angry, <laughs> and I was angry at my coaches, I was angry at my teammates, but I was also angry at God because it was this dream that I placed in His hands and uh, I trusted Him with it. And all of a sudden I was like, God, I don't know if I can trust you with my dreams. And uh, the hardest relationship I wrote to mend and heal though is the one that had the most power. Uh, I could see how my coaches, how my teammates, their motivations are all muddled. We're all human. We all make mistakes. But if God is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent, if he is everywhere, if he is all-seeing, all-knowing, and if he is all-powerful, where was God when my dreams, the dreams we dreamed about and chased together? And he was, as I shared, so much a part of that process. Uh, I highlighted two races, but that was... A dramatic reality that I lived in. <laughs> and uh, where was he when they were balling up and throwing in the waste basket like a scrap, a piece of scrap paper? Where was God when the team weren't decided justly? Or when, quite frankly, I had certain teammates not treat me very well? Or did he, did he, did he take a vacation? Did he choose to turn a blind eye? Or did he choose this for me? A road that has been marked with hardship, but now also roads of dreams. Did he dangle the dream in front of me like a carrot on a string, tied to a donkey forever out of reach? And when it finally was so close you could taste it, mercilessly snatch it away. What is good here, God? The Lord, who is my shield, attacked me, exposed me, abandoned me. He hurt me, and I'm mad at him. <laughs> and I felt like I couldn't trust him. <laughs> and I asked the question, okay, God, what cross are you going to lead me to next? <laughs> What's the reward for living obediently? And, uh, it's interesting because I wrestled with this. And uh, both then but after. Moving into that race, um, like I said, that month was crazy. And uh, I came to this point where I realized that the goal was yes to win. But the bigger part of my heart was to be able to win with God and to be able to do that with God and to be able to experience, um, as I had in so many other races, this just this. Um, this love and this obedience through sport. And uh, I had to revisit that. And if you go to the next picture, actually, <laughs> the morning, or not even the morning of, um, oh, last picture. I guess we were already on the Olympic slide. But uh, <laughs> the we raced at night. So it was literally in the warm-up, actually. I had a mentor that I had asked her. Uh, me and her had connected a lot through Athletes in Action in university. But I asked her six months out from the game, Will you journey intentionally with me through this time? And so she got the phone call, <laughs> uh, literally during my warm-up, and I was like, okay, Roxanne, um, can we just pray about this? Because the dream was to win, and that dream's gone, but I can still do this with God. And so just taking that moment to kind of refocus, and the Olympics, competing at that level, it didn't feel like a beam of sunshine radiating from my heart through my arms and my legs like that other race. Uh, it was this thing of faithful obedience. And that was something that God had been teaching me a little bit through just training and those uncertainties of training. Because of course, you want to be able to progress faster, all these things. But God said essentially, right, like within his creation that growth takes time. Look at a tree. You can't see it grow, but it's growing. Trust it, it's growing. You can see it over time. And uh, just this idea... Of, of faith, of long obedience in the same direction. And that was something actually that my mentor had challenged me with. And that's what that race felt like. It wasn't something that was fireworks and this big, beautiful, emotional experience. And I think as Pentecostals, 
sometimes we love those things, we love those moments where you're just like, okay, God, my heart feels like it has wings and I can fly, I can dance and sing before your presence forever and ever and ever and ever. And those moments are beautiful, but that's not our day-to-day reality often. And he blesses us with those moments and they're beautiful, but he also calls us that, okay, so when things are mundane and hard and it's just another race, will you trust me? Will you be obedient? This idea of this long obedience in the same direction, this idea of laying down brick after brick after brick in the foundation of a house. And so in a different way, the Olympics was a win. It wasn't the win I wanted it to be, <laughs> but it was a win. And being able to come home and reflect after that and hear, um, one of the, I guess, the coolest things that I heard was actually at that Welcome Home event. And uh, Dieter Bloom came up to me and he said, Melissa, I'm like, we know your story. And I'm so proud of how you acted with character and integrity. I think that's a win. <laughs> and Maybe I wouldn't have had that same kind of witness if I wasn't top of the podium. I don't know. Uh, but being able to work through those things and being able to look and search for character and for truth. And in the time post-Olympics, I've wrestled a lot with that question um, that I asked you guys before, this question of trust. God, can I trust you after it felt like you ripped out my heart and stomped on it? Can I trust you when you're asking me to go back into that same sphere of sport again where it's like it's just heart-wrenching and you don't know what's going to happen and it could be amazing and in four years I could win the Olympics and woohoo rah 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 be fun <laughs> but I also in four years might not even make the Olympic team what happens then and I had to wrestle through this question uh, if you go to the next slide just this reflection phase of is God trustworthy what does his word say? And uh, I was able to dive a lot into scripture and to be able to think about the stories of Job, think about the stories of David, uh, these people of faith that had much more dire circumstances than I did. <laughs> uh, but how they were able to wrestle through it and uh, come up. I wrestled a lot with the theology of suffering. And I think we all would like to answer that question, you know, why does a good God let bad things happen to good people, and I don't think there's a clear answer, and uh, I'm not claiming to be a theologian by any stretch of the imagination, but what, in my experience, the only thing I found that made sense was in the beginning when God created the world, and in the end when God says he's going to redeem it, there wasn't pain and suffering. He says in heaven, right, that he's going to wipe every single tear away from our eyes, there's going to be no more sorrow, no more pain. And so to think that suffering is part of his original plan for us, I don't, I don't know um, in the beauty of creation if it is. But because in relationships you have choice, and he said authentic love is to be able to choose to love someone. You have a choice to choose not to trust and choose not to love. And they're in her sin, and they're in his hurt, and they're in his suffering. And sometimes it's nothing you do. Sometimes it's just the way things are. Sometimes it's the effects of other people. But what I found um, as I wrestled through this, and of course it was Easter at the same time, was just this beautiful picture of how there is this pain and suffering, but instead of God saying, oh, I'm just going to take that away, he chose to enter into it and make it into something even more. And 
I wish God chose something different to, uh, a different emotion <laughs> to help us learn and grow and live in him. But uh, this essential story, this pinnacle story of the crucifixion, how Jesus chose to come down to earth to die. That sounds horrendous, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, God, couldn't salvation come about a different way? Why did he have to die? Why did he have to be bruised? Why did he have to pay this horrendous price and die a horrible death? Um, but the beauty is, is it doesn't end there. And that's what the Christian story is about. Is it's like when you, when you enter into pain and suffering, God has been able to say, yeah, but it's not fatal. And it's not the end. Three days later, he rose again and he conquered uh, he conquered sin. And uh, just thinking about this passage from Hebrews 11 and 12, this hall of faith, um, as they say, uh, the hall of fame, whatever. And uh, just how it talks about all these people. Uh, it says, verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And uh, chapter 12 encourages us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run, from run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I think Paul talks about it when he talks about sharing in Christ's sufferings. Um, there's something about, I guess, disappointment or suffering, whatever aspect of that you want to talk about, that does connect us with, with God and helps us share in his experiences, but not unto death, but so that if we believe that God is a saving God and a God, that, uh, a God of salvation, I believe that he wants to continue to redeem not only our souls once, but he's a God of redemption. And so to be able to continue to just redeem and by that bring new life, to revive and from those ashes bring new life. And I feel like that's just, that's so apparent in scripture. And uh, it's this concept of harvest that he talks about too. So if you go to the next slide. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, the next picture. This concept of a harvest. And uh, growing up on a farm, as many of you guys also live on a farm, there is this question of uncertainty that you go through every year. You invest in a crop, you prepare it, you work hard, but there's, you can't control if it rains, if it rains too much, if it rains at the wrong time, and you can't get the field, uh, the crop off the field, you can't control if it hails, or if it's scorching sun, or if it's horrible smoke, you can't control the weather, essentially, um, and there's this concept of trust, and this looking forward to a harvest, if you believed that you could never make a harvest, you would never plant but it's this concept of hope toward the harvest. And um, within, I guess, this whole concept to another beautiful picture, word picture that kind of God gave me, was this uh, concept of greater than gold. Of course, as an athlete, you're chasing this gold medal, you're chasing to be on top of the podium. But as you look at the historically how gold is refined and how it's melted down and strained out those impurities, and it's it's only through fire and straining that those impurities are taken out to be made into something of gold. So I believe that God was saying, can I do this with you, Melissa? Can I make you into a gold medal that I can probably wear around my neck and say, this is her? 
And uh, I guess that's the harvest to me. That's those fields of gold. And um, that is something that I guess it only does take those hard times, but also those times of renewal and revival um, to be able to, to live in. And uh, so I guess that's the hope I have moving forward. I still, I guess, every single day, like I said, it's a daily question. Will you trust me? Can you walk in trust? Will you go with me here? And you guys, all of you guys, are being asked that same question in one way or another. There's different things you have to trust him with, whether it's the crop this year after a couple of dead crops, um, whether it's your children going off into the world. Who knows what they do, right? And there's all these things that we have to trust God with, and he's asking you, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And uh, you get the choice. We get to either choose to walk in trust, or we get to grasp at straws and pretend we're in control. <laughs> um, and it's not always an easy decision, but it is a decision that we're invited to make every day. And so I want to just close with a couple of scriptures and then uh, a question. The first scripture there, if you go to the next slide, is from Galatians 6, 9. And these are a couple of scriptures that uh, just resonated with me in my process and in my journey. And it says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And just that idea of endurance, of how it does take time to journey to the top of the mountain. And uh, this verse from John 12, 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And that's my hope for, for my story. That's my hope for you guys. Is that as you guys, um, I guess right death is not pretty. Jesus dying on the cross is not pretty. But it's because he died on the cross that many can come to salvation. It's because of how in our own lives we die to certain things, how we put certain things on the altar, that we find new life. And hopefully through our stories, I pray that through our stories, um, those deaths will be able to produce a harvest of many seeds. The reality is as if my Olympics was a fairy tale ending, as I wouldn't be sharing this story with you guys today. And uh, I hope that through my story, you guys are both challenged and encouraged. And I just wanted to be real with you guys and say this is where I'm at. This is what I've been doing. Some of it's messy. Some of it's amazing. <laughs> but it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing thing. And uh, that last slide there, just something for you guys to all think about is how is God asking you to trust him today? What is that seed, that plant, that gem, that dream, that passion? How is God asking you to trust him today? And it might be a big step, but it might be something really little. It might be something like laying down that foundation day after day, that long obedience in the same direction. Or it could be literally taking the living sacrifice and tying it down the hill.